And now let us turn to Exodus 24. The office of elder doesn't start in the New Testament. We actually see it here. Exodus chapter 24. This is the uh, covenant uh, with uh, the Lord's people in the Old Testament being given on uh, through Moses with the blood of the covenant being sprinkled on the people. And then you read immediately after that in verse 9. Exodus 24, verse 9. Then Moses and Aaron and Nadab and Abihu and the 70 of the elders of Israel went up, and they saw the God of Israel. There was under his feet, as it were, a pavement of sapphire stone, like the very heaven for clearness. And he did not lay his hand on the chief men of the people of Israel. They beheld God and ate and drank. And now we turn to our text today for uh, the New Testament, which is our sermon text. This is from Acts chapter 20, beginning with verse 17. Acts 20, verse 17. Now from Miletus, he, Paul, sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable, and teaching you in public from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom of God will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pray, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no, man's, no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my own necessities and to those who were with me. In all things, I've shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of God abides forever. Let us pray. O oh Lord, our God in heaven, we thank you for these words 
sure and certain and challenging. We pray, O Lord, that the meditations of our hearts, the words of my mouth may be pleasing in your sight because you are our rock and our redeemer. We pray to you through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Obviously, we have changed from our series in Matthew because of the ordination of James as ruling elder. Uh, and this passage in uh, Acts chapter 20 is one of the main ones. It was referred to in the ordination service that we conducted earlier. And it is worth our time to exposit this. There's much that you can learn from it, as well as good reminder to James, who did study this passage. Uh, but, but we can always uh, come back to a certain text with uh, prophet. First of all, notice that there's kind of a general statement about the uh, office of ruling elder here. It talks about the elders of the church at Ephesus who met together. That would include the pastors, the people who, whose job is particularly to teach um, and to uh, preach, uh, but also for ruling elders. They are both here uh, united in Paul's address. And so you get in verse 28, in particular, uh, paying attention to the flock to care for the church of God. The word care there is the same word for shepherd. A shepherd, the flock, uh, the shepherd, the church of God. It's because he shifts the metaphor from flock of God to church of God. But the verb there is the same. It's uh, shepherd. Uh, Shepherd, the church of God, uh, in verse 28. And that's generally what's being said In our polity, in the Orthodox Presbyterian Church, ruling elder has a lot of different uh, duties and a lot of opportunities to serve the Lord. Uh, They uh, lead along with the pastor uh, in the uh, worship and service of the church, uh, watch diligently the people, and you'll notice this came up in our service, in the ordination service, he's also obliged to watch over the pastor to make sure that the uh, word is being proclaimed faithfully, that we have a gospel ministry in our church. This is part of his obligation. Uh, And uh, it's part of the, uh, we call the, the fact we have a plurality of elders, we have more than one elder, uh, that the pastor is not, you know, he doesn't have a free hand to do whatever he wants. He basically, serves alongside the elders who have the obligation to watch over him and his uh, doctrine and life as well. And you have uh, words like guarding uh, the flock, keeping them safe, visiting people in need, and praying for the people of God. This is all part of the obligation of a ruling elder in our midst. And there's two issues, though, in our passage I'd like to open with and address, two issues in understanding what's being said in verse 28. First of all, when it says to shepherd or care for the church of God, uh, this is actually a minority of manuscripts. We have something like 6,000 handwritten copies of the Greek New Testament, uh, which we use to determine the original reading. And uh, this is actually a minority reading. Uh, instead, the majority reading is the church, the church of the Lord. So instead of the church of God, it's the church of the Lord. 
Now, if you read it that way, read the whole phrase. To care for the church of the Lord, which he obtained with his own blood. See how nicely that reads. You, you see the Lord there is the Lord Jesus, which he obtained with his own blood. So it's the incarnate Son of God who has blood. Whereas if you say the church of God, it implies the Father, and he does not have blood to shed. He did not become incarnate uh, on the original Christmas day. Uh, what you don't know is it's actually, in the original, the difference of one letter. <laughs> So it, it doesn't look that way in our translation, but that's in the way they copied things back then. It's a difference between just one character. Uh, so it's easy to miss. Furthermore, back then, uh, they wrote things uh, without, they, they wrote their, their uh, documents without spacing between uh, words. Uh, all capital letters all run together. So reading was a very technical uh, procedure because you had to be able to untangle all that stuff. So it's easy to miss one character when it's just a stream of written characters all in one line. Uh, so you can see that this is, this is uh, understandable if there's this variation among our manuscripts. But I do think, personally, I think the, our Translators here and most people are correct to say the church of God. I think that's uh, perfectly legitimate uh, to read that as original and what Paul wrote here. Uh, so I'm not casting a doubt on that, but you should know about that possibility. You may have others who hold to that view. Not a bad view, but it's just probably not the best view. Now there's a second issue here and one that is if you accept the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Now you're talking about something that seems kind of odd. One easy way to deal with that is when you think of God here, you're thinking of the incarnate son, the son of God. Um, and so you would say the church of God, particularly the son of God, who obtained the church with his own blood. So that's, that's how people want to read this. And that's uh, that's, that's the best way to read it uh, in that light. But there's one other possibility that you don't know about that I'd like to suggest, and that is the way it's originally stated here is you can read this two ways. Which he obtained with his own blood is possible, but the other way to read it is actually a little more likely with the word order. And that is, which he obtained with the blood of his own. And so, of his own refers to a close relative. So you could read this, the church of God, which he obtained with the blood of his own son. That's... That's a perfectly legitimate way to read this, and I think preferred. Now let me show you, if you'd like to note this, another place where you find this same word, his own, where it has that meaning. John 1.11. If you want to know how to capture the main message of the Gospel of John, which is a big book, uh, you really read the first 18 verses. 
Those are kind of the heart of the Gospel of John. And right in the middle of that is verse 11, and that's kind of the heart of the Gospel of John as well. And it says his own twice. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him, but to as many as received him, he granted to them the authority to become the children of God. Uh, now, there's two things there. He came to his own. Now, in the original, that's neuter. Uh, these adjectives have gender forms like Spanish. So there's, there's masculine, feminine, neuter forms. And in the original, that's neuter. He came to his own. And in that, in that context, it means his own property, his own possessions. I like to think of it as his own estates. If you want to see this, Jesus tells a parable about a man who buys a, a big vineyard and he you know, puts a wall around it, a big tower, and then he goes away and all that, keeps it with under, under uh, uh, overseers. But this is the idea, a man who buys this big vineyard and he has this as his estates. That's what, we, that's what John says. He came to his own estates. He came to his own property. He came to the to the buildings and the cities and the land that, that he owned. This is his. It doesn't belong to somebody else. He came to his own. He has, he has brought these people out of Egypt and he's planted them in this area and he has, he has overseen their uh, nurture like a farmer carefully tending his fields. That's what we get in that statement. But then it shifts, says, but his own did not receive him. Then... That shifts to a masculine form, and the masculine form in the original is how you refer to men and women together. So masculine is grammatical. It doesn't have anything to do with natural gender. Uh, so he came to his own people. So he came to his own property inhabited by his family, and his family, his people, did not receive him. Well, that's the same meaning as in Acts 20. So the blood of his own, Christ came to his own, his own people, people of his own family. That's how you read that in John uh, 1.11. You also find this, if you want to note this, 1 Timothy 5.8. The same thing is said there. It's in the plural, but it's the same idea. 1 Timothy 5.8. The man does not care for his own family. In ESV it says his own relations. Uh, it's the same, his own people. Uh, so that's probably the best way to read that, is you should, should care for the church of God, which is obtained with the blood of his own family member, his own son. Uh, so this is, this is talking about the sacrifice of the father for the church. Sometimes we think of the church as really being particularly Christ's, you know, on this rock, I will build my church. But you should see that the father takes ownership of the son's church. This is a church where you have the father and the son and the Holy Spirit pre uh, present in our passage, carefully superintending the church because God, the father, son, and spirit, one God owns the church. We are his. We belong to him. 
Uh, and we have been granted the authority to become children of God through Christ Jesus. We're now members of his family. And he cares for us and tends us. So he gives elders for the benefit of his church. Elders are not, you know, something necessary. We really don't want them, but we have to have them. No, he gives them for our benefit in this age to minister to us in his behalf. And that gives them a certain authority as ministers of the authority. We call that ministerial authority. Minister means servant. So servant authority, one who has the authority to serve Christ and serving you in the name of Christ is what a ruling elder does. Now Paul talks about the manner of his ministry, which is very prominent in this passage. Let me summarize it quickly by pointing out a few of the things in our passage. This is back to Acts 20 and the passage where Paul says twice, verses 21 and 24, that he testified. So he has a ministry of testimony. Uh, this is what you do. You testify to the word of God. So the authority of a, wording, a, a ruling elder must be to testify to the word of God to people. You are presenting to them the testimony of God to you. Uh, and that's what, that's what an elder does. Verse 19, in the face of opposition. This is the hard part. Testify in the face of opposition. Well, you're not alone. Paul faced opposition. Our Lord Jesus Christ faced opposition. But you must give this testimony. It's not optional. This is your, this is your obligation to serve Christ faithfully. As a minister of Christ, you minister in the face of opposition. Now, you have to do this humbly, but you do it faithfully. And it's required of, an, of a servant to be faithful. That is the chief requirement. You are faithful to Christ, and then you serve people faithfully. Well, there are various other features in our passage. I'm going to just run through some of the words that Paul uses. He talks about humility selflessly. He's serving the Lord. He didn't do it out of greed. He did it publicly, fully, meaning he didn't shrink from anything, tirelessly, and then without discrimination. Jew and Gentile, it made no difference. There's no discrimination in the church of any sort whatsoever. This is, this is a church where everybody is fellow members, fellow saints with the church. Uh, and this is, this is why we minister in that way, and that must be so. Now Paul also talks about the content of his ministry. Now the whole reason he's assembling these elders and talking about his ministry is he's presenting himself as a model for them. So when he talks about the content of his ministry, he's talking about the content of our ministry as well. Verse 20, anything profitable... Notice this profitability for others, that they would profit from our labor. That's what we focus on, helping them to profit in the things of God. Repentance toward God and faith in Christ Jesus, verse 21. It's a gospel ministry. This is the ministry of this church, the gospel ministry. That's how we summarize it. And here's part of the evidence for it. This is not optional. Repentance toward God and faith in Christ Jesus. 
And then making it even more explicit in verse 24, testimony to the gospel of the grace of God. Notice how Paul's ministry is summarized that way. It's testimony to the gospel of the grace of God. May that always mark our ministry in this church, pastor and ruling elders, all together, as well as you, uh, brothers and sisters who belong here. This is, this is our ministry in this world. It's the only thing we have, and it's, it's enough. <laughs> Having the gospel doesn't seem like much to the world. It's the power of God for salvation. It can move mountains. This is what we have, and it's enough. It's more than enough. Because it's tied to the kingdom, notice verse 25. He, he testifies to the gospel and to the kingdom. If you want to see this, the book of Acts is actually framed by the kingdom of God. It opens with Jesus talking to his 11 disciples about the kingdom of God in the very first verses in Acts. And then it ends, so there they are in Jerusalem, then it ends with Paul in Rome, and twice it says he discussed with people who came to see him the kingdom of God. So it opens with the kingdom of God and ends with the kingdom of God, and it's everything in between, because that's what this age is all about, is the gospel, the grace of God, and the kingdom of God, which has begun in Christ Jesus. And then finally, in verse 27, he uses this phrase, which is on the, it's the motto of the school where I taught all my adult life uh, before moving here. The whole counsel of God. This is, the, this is what we t- preach here. The whole counsel of God. This is in verse 27. Uh, like Paul, the whole counsel of God. You know what that means? It means you teach and preach things that you don't gravitate to. You don't naturally think, well, I'm not very good at that or it's kind of scary, or whatever. Believe me, I've had this experience more than once. That's kind of a scary passage. I don't know what to do. You're faithful as well as you can, because you're preaching the whole counsel of God. You don't withhold anything from the people of God. God's counsel is yours. It's your heritage. And you have the whole counsel of God due to you, and that's what we teach and preach and deliver to you and act on the basis of it. The whole counsel of God. Uh, and that's what Paul says. He lays that down for us. I'll teach that to you in good time. Finally, Paul exhorts the elders to continue his ministry. Paul realizes that his time is short. He says that to them. You won't see my face again in verse 25. So they are to follow his manner of ministry that he modeled, that we talked about that already, as well as the content of his ministry. Uh, He makes this clear when he says, therefore be alert, remembering the things I did and remembering what I taught. We carry on because Paul couldn't carry on. Now this is not new. The book of Matthew ends with the Lord laying out the ministry to his apostles and and to convert the nations, which they started to do from Jerusalem to Samaria to the ends of the earth. Paul carrying on that ends of the earth part in his day. But Paul now is faced with his own death, and he realizes that now these elders are going to carry on the apostolic ministry. 
So that's why we laid hands on James, the symbol that this is passed on from one generation to the next. From that time when Paul laid out for the elders, you must carry on. So now James carries on in his day and carries the ministry forward. And we keep laying hands on more and more so that the ministry will continue in this world. Because Jesus says at the end of Matthew 28, and look, I am with you even to the end of the age. So notice the implication. That age will extend. I know that, Jesus says. I know that time will go on after you're gone, apostles. But I am with you, my church, even to the end of the age. And he is. He has raised up for you, brothers and sisters, James Roberts as your elder. This is Christ being with you even to the end of the age. And Lord willing, he will continue to raise up more officers for us. Then Paul gives an exhortation. Notice verse 28. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock. You have a divine calling. This is not a casual thing you take upon yourself. And believe me, brothers and sisters, I saw this throughout all of our training. Uh, James took none of this casually. He was very serious about it, and he saw its awesome character. Because it is a divine calling. It's interesting, isn't it? The Holy Spirit has made you an overseer. It's interesting, not the Father and not the Son, but the Holy Spirit. I think the reason why he says that is because it's the Holy Spirit who will equip you to fulfill your office. That's what you rely upon, is you've been called by the Holy Spirit, equipped by him as well to carry on in those days when you feel like it's way above your abilities. You don't rely upon yourself. Your sufficiency is not in you. It's in the Lord and his equipping. He will make you sufficient for this uh, awesome task, a good task to fulfill his will. He has called you and he will bring it to pass. That's why he says the Holy Spirit has called you. And then also notice that the uh, grace of God undergirds all of this. I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, that's in verse 32. I commend you to God's grace. This is what we rely upon. And then the Lord's teaching. Remember the words of the Lord. It is more blessed to give than to receive. Verse 35. Help the weak. Shepherd the church of God. And the Holy Spirit be with you. This is what is symbolized in the laying out of hands that James underwent. And now, may he equip you and us together as Christ's church to be light in the world. There's urgent attention needed because of the threats both outside and inside. This is the awful, true, unsavory nature of our ministry, verse 29. Fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. 
You don't follow people who are attempting to have you follow them. You are followers of Christ Jesus. And this, brothers and sisters, is why we have a plurality of elders also, that we can put the brakes on this sort of thing. This is also why it was mentioned, part of the duty of the elder is to watch over the minister. Because when I speak from the pulpit, they're not here. But believe me, they can come to me and rebuke and reprove and correct me. That is their office and their privilege and their duty in your presence so that we would not have this happen among us. And I won't be here forever. When you have this pastoral search bears fruit, you will have another minister. The same thing is true. Nothing changes. Uh, we still have elders who will oversee you by overseeing the minister so that we will not suffer this. Yes, it happens. But no, we will not give up in our vigilance, in our duty to protect you by watching over you on the basis of the Word of God that you may be assured that here the Word of Christ will dwell richly. For this is the buttress of the truth, the place where the truth is found. Otherwise, there is no light in the world and there's no salt. This is the testimony of God this day to us all. May God bless us to fulfill his goodwill that he started among us, the good work for the glory of his name. Amen. Let us pray. O Lord, you have done awesome things among us. Here we have this joyful, um, awesome uh, new task taken up by our brother. We pray for us all that you would grant that our church would grow in your grace as a result of the word of God and the testimony and the gospel of Christ Jesus our Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.